Practical Prepping Podcast. We're helping everyday people become prepared for whatever emergencies come our way. Where gear is good, but knowledge is better, because the more you know, the less you have to carry. We're your hosts, Mark and Krista Lawley. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Practical Prepping Podcast. I am your host, Krista Lawley, and I have my special regular guest with me, as always, and at all times, Mark Lawley. I'm her co-host on the podcast, and I'm also her co-host in life. Yes, and the roadie and the party and button pusher and editor and all that kind of thing. And so, I've been pushing buttons for this young lady for a long time. Oh, yes. He used to run sound for me when I would sing as a teenager way, way back in the 20th century at our little home church. But that's a whole different podcast. We want to welcome you today. It is November the 11th, 2021. It's a special day in America. It's a day that we commemorate Veterans Day. It's a day that we set aside to commemorate those who have served in any of the branches of our military, those who used to serve, those who are presently serving, or those who have retired from serving. We honor you as a veteran. It's a legal holiday dedicated to the veterans of all the wars, and it has uh, been established on November 11th. Before I jump completely full force into it, I do want to give you a programming note. We are going to move our Friday podcast to Saturday this week. I know that's a little unusual. Well, we're running a day late already, and so we had some life things happen that caused us to not be able to stay on schedule for yesterday, so we're just pushing everything a day later, Thursday, and Saturday. Yeah, so just stick with us. We're just going to be a little bit day later. You know, it might have occurred because of that daylight savings uh, change, you know, over last weekend. And I tell you, that just messes everybody up sometimes. So if you haven't already, go ahead and press that subscribe button. And if you'd like to put a notification on there to notify you when we put up a new podcast, then you'll know it regardless of when it is. Sounds good. Now, in 1918, on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, An armistice was declared between the Allied nations and Germany in World War I, which was then known as the Great War, and we now refer to as World War I. Now, one year later, in November of 1919, U.S. President Woodrow Wilson proclaimed November the 11th as the first commemoration of Armistice Day, marking the end of the conflict. It became an American federal holiday in 1938. In the aftermath of World War II and the Korean War, Armistice Day then became known as Veterans Day. And observations of Veterans Day include parades and public gatherings, as well as a brief pause in business and school activities at 11 a.m. Now, there's disagreement between several cities over which one had the first parade that was commemorating the veterans. But the Veterans Day parade in Birmingham, Alabama, on November the 11th of 1919, was the first one to officially use the phrase Veterans Day Parade. And that parade continues today, sanctioned by the National Veterans Day Foundation. You know, just we're going to pop in here and say we want to make a difference, an understanding of difference between Veterans Day and Memorial Day. You know, a lot of people get that confused. Well, they both have to do with the military, and I think that may be where the beginning of the confusion is. But it really confuses or a soldier or an airman or a Marine will look at you kind of funny 
if you tell them Happy Memorial Day. Right. Because celebrating you. Yeah, because Memorial Day was set aside to commemorate those who paid the ultimate price in military service to the country. And then Veterans Day is celebrating all veterans who have served or are still serving. So here's a quicker way to remember. Memorial Day is to remember the dead, and Veterans Day celebrates the living. Mm -hmm. Talk to our listeners about some of the experiences you had as a photographer when you were asked to photograph some of the Veterans Day events in the Birmingham area. That parade, and there is a dinner the night before. It's always on November the 10th, and it is an awards banquet, and it brings veterans in from all over the country, as well as some that are currently serving. And a friend of mine, Mark Ryan, in Birmingham, Alabama, became the president of the National Veterans Day Foundation, and they're the ones that sanctioned that parade and that banquet. And they always bring in some well-known, well-deserving, not always well-known, but very well-deserving people that are the recipient of that award. And one of the recipients has been Bob Dole. Now, they had to fly up to his house because he was not physically able to come to the banquet. But many of the folks have come to the banquet, and I've gotten to meet quite a few really neat people, and I'll just tell you about two of those. One of them is Colonel Charles McGee of the Tuskegee Airmen, and Colonel McGee has served in three different wars. He was a fighter pilot in World War II in Korea and into Vietnam. Amazing. And he is one of the original Tuskegee Airmen. And it was such a privilege to be able to meet him. I understand when you met him at that time, and this is probably maybe 10, 11 years ago or so. Nine or 10, yes. Okay. And I believe he was a colonel at that time. Right. And in 2020, he was promoted to Brigadier General. Wow, that's awesome. So you may find him listed today as Brigadier General Charles McGee. But he was one of the original Tuskegee Airmen, and he has a tremendous war record as far as his kills in combat. I understand that he was among the very first of the Tuskegee Airmen to graduate out of that uh, training school. Yes. And and I did a little reading on him, and I understand he's 101 years old. Mm I mean, this is an amazing fellow. If uh, His birthday is in December, so we're hoping that you know next month he'll celebrate his 102nd birthday. And it was a privilege to meet him and a real pleasure to get to, to know a couple of the Tuskegee Airmen over the years. Now, the second one that I was able to meet a year or two later that really sticks out in my mind, and he is... He's now deceased, and he was the last surviving member of the Doolittle Raiders, Mm. and that was Colonel Richard Cole, Dick Cole, a little bit of short guy, and uh, just a pleasure to be around, and he was Colonel Doolittle's co-pilot. Oh, wow. On that particular mission. He had a very historic mission. Very historic mission. And if you're not familiar with what we're talking about there, we're talking about when America bombed Tokyo. And you can find that in 30 seconds over Tokyo. And they've made a great book. They've made a great movie. 
and I'm now reading a book that follows up with the war crimes trials after the war with the Japanese that held some of the, well, I think eight of the participants in the raid were captured. And this story is about four of those and three of those that were executed. But Colonel Cole, Dick Cole, it was interesting listening to him. See, they were the very first B-25 to fly off of the carrier. Oh. And each plane behind them had a little bit more carrier to use to take off. (laughs) And when that plane came off the end, it dropped down almost to the water, and it took it a second to get back up. But it was able to take off of that. And Mr. Cole was Colonel Doolittle's co-pilot. And one of the things he said when whenever they got – and you just have to read up on the stories as some things went wrong. They had to launch about 400 miles earlier than they intended to because they were spotted by a fishing trawler that would report their position. And so they were ahead of time, and they did not make the Chinese connection where they were going to land. So they just had to find a place to to go. And Colonel Doolittle told them to bail out of the airplane. And Colonel Cole said, my reaction was, say what? (laughs) Yeah, bail out to where? You know, we're (laughs) in a perfectly good airplane. Why do we want to jump out? So Mm. that's my two special memories. And I know that Mark Ryan has had his hands full for the last day and a half or so. And actually for the last year, because it takes him a lot of time to plan this and to pull it off as well as he does. So kudos and congratulations to him. Well, you know, both of our dads served in uh, wartime events. My father served as a captain in the Army in World War II, and he traveled to Okinawa and Japan and quite a few areas in the Pacific region. I don't believe he spent any time in the European theater, but he did talk to me some about his visits to Okinawa and to Japan. And um, I remember him telling the story about he had given my mother an engagement ring before he left. He had met my mother during this time where he was stationed there in Tallahassee. But he said, we, are, we will not get married until I am back, because that kind of was his way of saying, I don't I may not come. I'm back. coming back. I'm coming back. So I'm. This is. This will be the plan. It must have worked because my sweet parents were married for 71 years. Now, when my dad did get back, and they did get married, and he was finishing college on the GI Bill, which was a very wonderful program at that time. That was the way that these veterinary vet. That was the way these vets could afford to get a college education. Most of them, my father, you know, he served this country. He didn't work a job, you know. Right, but, and he became mm-hmm. an engineer and went to work for NASA and had something to do with putting a man on the moon and getting him back. He had a lot to do with that. Mm-hmm. Yes, he did. And what was interesting was he, he got married, he and mother got married, and a couple of kids came along, and He joined up with the National Guard in the late 40s, you know, early 1950. Well, the Korean skirmish broke out. Some people still don't call it a war, but we still refer to it here as the Korean War. And because my father was in the National Guard, he got called up for active duty. So here, here's my mother now with two very young children. And my dad gets called out back to the Pacific. He has to go serve in Korea. And he does so. 
and he's in, he's actually in the ammunition depot arsenal. That's that's where they stationed him. And it was an he took some of the most beautiful slides. You know, he used to do slide projectors. You know, mm-hmm. back in the fifties, and they're still around here somewhere. And my niece put them onto a CD, and he took pictures of the culture and the people of Korea. And it had absolutely nothing to do with the war, right. but it was he wanted to photograph that that beautiful culture and those wonderful people. But she's only put a small portion of those onto DVD because there are thousands still here that have not been gone through. I just wanted to mention too that my father served proudly. He didn't. He never bragged about his duty. He was not a career military guy, but he certainly served with pride, and he was certainly willing to go. And he, and he often thought fondly of those that he served with, many of whom did not make it back home. And so it, it gave me a deep, humbling respect for the things that my father saw, heard, and experienced that he probably never really spoke to anyone about. Mm-hmm. Maybe he just just between him and God, probably. And I know that your father, and you've got a lot more details because he shared a lot more with you. Your father was in the Air Force. You know, it didn't even get that name until, I think, after World War II. Yeah, 1948, I believe it was, it became the Air Force. Well, back up, his brother, immediately older than him, four years older than him, was in World War II, and he was in the Battle of the Bulge, among other battles. Mm. And he came home, and when my dad turned 18, my uncle came to him, and he said, you have one of two choices. You can join the Air Force, or I'm going to break both of your legs, because you're not going through what I went through. And Korea was active at this time. This was 1950. And so dad went down and joined the Air Force, and he wound up stationed in... Japan. He was on Honshu and Hokkaido at different times, and he was on B-29s supporting Korea. He flew as the flight engineer on B-29s, and he was a crew chief, and they flew weather. Now, he said that he has flown over Korea many, many times, but he never landed in it. But he was in what was the Pacific Air Weather Service, PAWS, Pacific Air Weather Service. And that's the predecessor to the hurricane hunters. Oh, nice. They didn't call them hurricanes out there. They are typhoons. And they would take a B-29 and fly into and out of what is, in effect, a hurricane. My word. And so if any of you were in that unit and served with him... My congratulations, and I appreciate your service. And then Dad came back, and when he came back to the States, he went to Maxwell Air Force Base in Montgomery, and he was on B-26s and B-25s. And he got to fly with some neat folks, uh, one of those being, at the time, Colonel Chuck Yeager. Oh, yes. Dad told me that Colonel Yeager was the best he had ever seen at a B-25. He'd reach up over his head, he'd flip a switch, he'd never look to see it. He knew where it was, and he commented to him, and he said, Sergeant, I don't think you were qualified on your airplane until you're able to do that. Wow. So that's how he felt about it. So Dad served for four years and came back, had a family, went into business, and um We lost dad 20 years ago and miss him every day. 
Yes, and my own father passed away about four and a half years ago. He was 97 at the time of his death, and he had had a very long and fruitful and very fulfilling life, and I do miss him as well. Well, getting back to talking about veterans, you know, I was thinking about the military in general, Mm -hmm. and that I know that in our most recent memory, as far as American memory, that it was the event of 9-11 that caused a renewed interest and an, a spiking uptick in military volunteerism and service. There were people that were coming down the very next day to the recruiting stations, and they were saying, sign me up, sign me, take me, sign me up. Whatever this nation needs to do to be defended, I'm in line. And uh, so there, since t- 2001, and here is a 2021, you know, we just recently exited Afghanistan. That was America's longest war at 20 years. I mean, that's a phenomenal experience. Uh, A lot of good and a lot of not so good, obviously, attached to that war. But I am so grateful and thankful for those that some deployed more than once. Oh, yes. And one of the things that uh, the guys that went to the, the men and women that went to Afghanistan, Iraq, One of the things that they did is they suppressed the terrorism that we would have experienced in this country. Oh, they thwarted it greatly. In fact, more so than most of the American public will ever completely Mm -hmm. know. Uh, they've, They've dealt with more than we could ever imagine. And it's been a traumatic effect. They they did have a positive influence on the Afghan culture and the people while they were there. And so uh, I just, you know, prayers to the Afghanistan people because I know that there's still a lot of turmoil in that region and has been for a long time. Well, there's more going on now, but we won't get into the politics of it. But our prayers certainly are with the ones that served with us and the ones that are there under persecution because of their beliefs or even just simply because they're women that they're being persecuted today. Yeah, there's a lot of cultural differences, and and a lot of soldiers, men and women, served and came back and had much changed minds about humankind and the compassion of others and the the utter uh, coldness of other hearts. It's just an it's an unusual experience, and that's why I think a lot of vet- veterans like to maybe get together because who else can they really talk to that can truly understand? There's a lot of emotional things that go on as, when people are deployed to situations. I've been listening to some podcasts. Uh, the podcast is American Veteran, if I remember correctly, and what it's doing is it's telling the story of individual veterans. Mm. Great podcast, and you can find that probably wherever you get your podcast. And it just tells the story of what some of these folks went through. One of them, I remember, was a nurse that went to Vietnam, and she'd been working several years in the hospital, and she was talking about how much it affected her being in that war zone because she wasn't back in a field hospital like in Germany. She was on the front line, mm-hmm. the the mobile surgical like a MASH unit. Right, yeah. like a Mobile, Mobile Army, Army Surgical. Surgical Hospital. Yeah, that's that's just like one rung above a, a campsite, basically. Under a tent most of the time. Mm-hmm. And then she transferred from there up to an actual hospital. I think she was near Saigon. And she talked about the emotional toll that that took on her. And we do see many people going through that, like your dad went to Korea and left a family here. 
Oh, yes. Now, and, you know, it's not like they, they couldn't just pick up a phone. or no. The mail was sometimes six to eight months between. I mean, mm-hmm. my mother sometimes went months not knowing right. where my dad was or how he was. I mean, that's, you just imagine the... What it the toll it took on the veteran and yeah. the toll it took on their family. Yeah. Now my dad, he was fortunate. Yes, he left left family, but it was brothers, sister, and mother and dad. Uh, he was not married at that time. In fact, he had not met my mother until he came back and was stationed at Maxwell. And these guys left a lot of things at home, and there is a lot of things that they miss out on. They miss out on the birth of children at times. They miss loved ones passing away. They miss so many of the things that go on in their family that we take for granted. There's nothing they can do about that. You know, when they, when you sign on for the military, the military does not care if your son is graduating or your daughter's getting married. That's too bad because, you know, that's just going to have to, they're just going to have to go on without you. However, we have seen sometimes, and, and these uh, these soldiers and Marines and sailors and airmen, they get leave. Mm-hmm. And it's been fun to watch, and it it brings yeah. me to tears. See some of these reunions. When I see some of these reunions. Yeah. yeah. And, it's a cooperation. It, it takes some military cooperation. It takes private cooperation. And they surprise a daughter, a mother, a brother, a sister, or the whole family. Mm-hmm. When I saw one recently. It was so sweet. It was a wedding that was taking place. And the wedding was with what I would say would be a middle-aged bride and a middle-aged groom. And it was a beautiful, like an outdoor wedding under a big, like a um, lodge type barn sort of uh, atmosphere, but it was more open on the sides. And someone was videotaping on their phone uh, the some of the proceedings and very close to where the bride and the groom are. And you could hear the minister saying, you know, someone's not giving this woman to be wed, but, but, and the, the minister was in on it. He said, who, who would be here to have the honor of escorting this bride to her groom? And you hear a voice off from the uh, back of the picture saying, I will. And the bride looked up and she saw her son. Now her son had been uh, on leave, I mean, uh, deployed. And so, like you said, they had secretly gotten it arranged where he could come. And he's probably, he was in his late 20s, you know. And she, of course, she was a complete mess at that point. You know, here she was, a beautiful bride. And she looked up and saw her son, and he he extended his arm, and she took his arm, and he escorted his mother to be married to her groom. And it was just the whole room just erupted because they had so missed him. He had told his mother the week before, I'm so sorry, I'm not going to be able to be there. I love Love you and and she said, "Son, I understand. It's okay." And then a week later, there and I, he was. I think in that situation, it's okay to lie to your brother. I think so. Th- those are the okay lies. But you know, a lot of these guys, women, men, both experience a lot of physical setbacks, a lot of financial setbacks, a lot of PTSD, and it's a very, very real thing. And it's very common to and it varying degrees of intensity. But now we're going to link in the show notes where there is some help. If you are struggling. 
If you're a veteran that needs some help, if you need to find a place to live, if you need to find a job, if you're searching for family members maybe that are long lost and you're trying to reconnect, if you know that you've got some physical issues, medical issues, anything that is touching your life that you need to reach out for help, we're happy to be able to share with you the resources that there are. And I was delighted to find, on just even on a simple search online, the very first one that I found is the NVF, which is the National Veterans Foundation. They are a clearinghouse of information, and they have hands-on support. There's someone that will answer a phone when you call. They have offices you can go in. If you need uh, therapy, if you need a support dog, even they'll even connect some people with an emotional support animal, and I've seen that work. I'm telling you, that really makes a difference. So... We want to encourage you, if you're a veteran or if you're the loved one of a veteran, please help them. Sometimes they don't know to ask for help. Veterans are usually tough folks. These men and women, they're tough. They're tough as nails. And they sometimes may feel like it's a weakness to ask for help when, in fact, it's not. They, they're they some of the best helpers in the world, but a lot of times they won't seek it for themselves. So you maybe need to be the one to make the call to find the resource or the right connection for whatever the issue is. Contact the nvf.org. We will put that link in the show notes. Um, and I was, wanting to, I was wanting to also make mention, too, that uh, a lot of times we may be out in public and we may see someone that may be wearing a jacket with an emblem on the shoulder, or maybe they're wearing a ball cap with a, you know, remember Iwo Jima or something, and you you immediately understand that's a veteran. There goes a veteran. And they may be at just the right age. You know, we're losing World War II veterans at a great rate. And they, I think they said in the next possibly nine to ten years, there may not be a World War II veteran left alive. And if you see a veteran, a man or a woman out there, and you just know they're a veteran, I've seen people do this, and they'll they'll just kind of say, thank you for your service, and then they'll walk on. I think what you need to do is extend your hand. You need to shake that hand, and while you've got that hand in your hand, you look them square in the eye, and you smile, and you tell them how much you appreciate their devotion to the service. You tell them you appreciate their service, and to me, you need to be very sincere because these incredible men and women, I mean, they laid it all out on the line and not for themselves they laid it all out for others and you know what we are the others and you know when you see that little guy with a walker yeah it's emotional and he's wearing that world war ii hat that's a hero i don't care where they served or what they did the fact that they stood up and said i'll go yeah, but the the thing that gets me, and if you don't go up and shake their hand and talk to them, you may not find out. That guy may have been on the beaches of Normandy. Very much so. They may have stormed Iwo Jima. They may have been at the fence to open it up and let a Holocaust victim walk mm-hmm. free. And they saw their buddies getting killed right beside them. You know, there's several things you could do. I I know that this has happened. I know that we've done it. We're not bragging on ourselves, but we have secretly purchased a restaurant meal. 
when we looked across and we saw a veteran with his family, we just told our waitress, said, said, you make arrangements to give us that ticket. You can do that, too. There's other things you can do. There are a whole host of veteran organizations. I can think of one right now called Wounded Warriors, and they do a tremendous amount of good. They not only help with the medical costs and getting these warriors the the help for their medical issues. Some of them have lost legs and arms. Some of them have traumatic brain injury. And they build special houses for some of these guys. And, and, and give it to them mortgage-free. And, and that's the least they can do. And I mean, Gary Sinise and the Sinise Foundation. Right. They, they fund that. I think he's built, his foundation has built something like 120 houses. And it's just, that is, you cannot know the blessing on this side of eternity, of, of what that means to a veteran, for that someone could care that much, because I feel like that's the very least we can do to these heroes. And if you find out that there's a veteran-owned business, there are some that, for example, they make clothing, or they make, uh, they roast their own coffee, or they provide food in other ways or, or they, they're contractors in the area yeah there might be builders they, they or build houses that they occupy every walk of life we need to support veteran-owned businesses and we need to give honor where honor is due and that's what today is about honoring our veterans as the saying goes we don't know them all but we owe them all and we'll see you next time you can reach us on Facebook at Practical Prepping. You can email us at info at practicalprepping.info. And our website is practicalprepping.info. And remember, stuff happens. Stay prepared.